welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Proverbs 19 Verse 21 states, Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, 16, excuse me. Acts chapter 16, uh, where we will see that Paul, Silas, And Timothy have delivered the decrees of the Jerusalem Council to all existing churches in Galatia, and they are now pursuing fresh new expansion of Christ's kingdom as they seek an open door uh, to their next, you know, logical location for preaching Christ. I have a map here. You know, they will first attempt to enter and evangelize those locations, those regions closest to Galatia. Uh, That would seem responsible, you know, and systematic. They're in Iconium and Lystra there, uh, middle right of the screen. And uh, they're going to attempt uh, to enter into Asia or to penetrate Asia with the gospel. And they're also going to attempt to go north into Bithynia, uh, but neither door will open and, and we'll find that they land in Troas, which is right on the Aegean Sea there, if you can see with the first arrow. And then uh, their final destination will be in Philippi, uh, far upper left part of the screen, in a region called Macedonia. The Holy Spirit will not allow them to penetrate the other locations. Uh, you know, a lot like we see... Uh, with Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well in Samaria. That's in John chapter 4. You know, Paul has a divine appointment with a woman at a river named Lydia. Uh, so Paul's team is diverted. Diverted by God here. 585.953 miles. Much of it traversed by foot. And in that ancient world, folks, as far as effort is concerned, uh, that distance would probably equate uh, to you and I traveling uh, by car to Moscow. It would be that difficult for them uh, possibly to go almost 600 miles in this age. It would be much easier for us to turn on the air conditioning and just drive uh, across the planet. Very difficult traveling in that day, but similar to how Jesus, you know, we're told in Scripture he had to travel through Samaria to speak to the woman at the well. Paul and his team are forced by the Holy Spirit of God to bypass Asia and to travel across the Aegean Sea in northeastern Macedonia. They will find their location in a city named Philippi. And we will see how that all materializes in our text today. Uh, Reading from Acts chapter 16 and verse 6, I've titled this message, The Lord Directs Our Steps. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, 
having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out uh, to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to, uh, actually that'd be Samothrake. It's an island in the middle of the Aegean Sea. I'll call it Samothrace. And on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside uh, the gate to the riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. So to reach their next divinely appointed objective, which they have no idea where that is to be at this point, uh, Paul's ministry team finds itself spending weeks uh, pressing on numerous doors only to find that none will open. We are not told What barriers arose that forbid them from moving south into Asia and preventing them from moving north into Bithynia? Uh, What the Holy Spirit used to redirect their path uh, is completely immaterial to how we interpret the text. Uh, God has determined that we simply don't need to know. So we aren't invited to just invent our own conclusions. It may have been storms or bad weather. Um, might have been winter storms. It, it might have been physical or political opposition. It could have even been financial or transportation challenges of some kind that acted as barriers. We simply don't know And we aren't supposed to know. What we are to know is that the writer of Acts, uh, he's named Luke, credits the Holy Spirit as orchestrating this entire sequence of events through preventing their advance into some areas. Their course and their progress are subject to God's providence Of course, we all realize God wants the gospel to be advanced. There's no question about that. And and sometimes we knock on doors that just won't open, and it doesn't make any sense to us. This is true throughout life. It's true in missions, in ministry, in evangelistic uh, outreach. Back when Rita and I were pursuing uh, missions ministry over a period of five years, um, we saw so many doors 
flung open quickly. But years later, when I was following the Lord's call to the preaching ministry, numerous doors were closed. Some were even doors that I was very confident would have been a perfect fit for Rita and myself. Yet it wasn't until many years later that I realized that Port St. Lucie Bible Church had become the perfect fit for Rita and me, um, even though these years haven't passed without some pain and suffering. But I can now clearly see exactly why God closed those other doors to pastoral ministry. And even at this very point in time, I have never been more optimistic and encouraged about what the Lord continues to do at this church. And because the Holy Spirit is in control, you and I know the Lord's timing is always perfect. He's never a minute too early or a second too late. If I could just then learn to allow the Holy Spirit to do His thing. You know, His thing is to orchestrate things, we would all be a little more uh, better off. In our passage, it isn't as if the gospel isn't also going to soon reach Asia. You know, cities like Ephesus and Miletus, uh, there are also uh, will be many other churches founded in Asia. Uh, they're named Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. There's also Hierapolis and Colossae, just not yet. 1 Peter 1 verse 1 assures the same will come true in the region to the north that is called Bithynia, but not on this day and not by Paul. Here in Acts 16, Paul has exercised his personal desire to preach in both Asia and in Bithynia. There's nothing inherently sinful about his desire to pursue those paths. Um, but at some point in each case, he discerns it is not the Lord's timing for the gospel in Bithynia. And though Paul pressed on that door, it never becomes a reality for him as he continues to move west. He is forbidden to turn south. And even though Paul eventually writes a letter to a church in the city of Colossae, he never gets to visit Colossae or Laodicea in Asia. Instead, these churches are founded by an evangelist, a, a church planter who is named Epaphras. That's according to Colossians 1 verse 7. And Paul tells them in chapter 2 and verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. What does our passage today assure us? 
It means that there may be many doors that you press upon with pure intentions that will never, ever open to you. Somebody else will get the job. Tough. Some other person will marry him or her. That is the point, by the way, you quit knocking. (laughs) But for the missionary or evangelist, it means we we keep pushing. We, We keep praying until the right door opens. In Colossians 4 verse 3, Paul also tells that church in Colossae, pray at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word. Pay pay a careful note of attention here. Um, When Paul passes by Asia and Bithynia and through Mysia, he clearly at this point in time, does not know where he is going. He does not know where the Lord is taking him. Only God is all-knowing, omniscient. James taught us earlier to pray, if the Lord wills, we will do this, or we will do that. Sometimes... Closed doors even mean to remain where you are. And there are some doors which are unwise to open. Those are different sermons for a different day. But Paul's itinerary isn't precisely mapped out. He, his plans remain flexible for him. Uh, but he does not start singing. Some of you know this song. It's from a group called Third Day. Give me a revelation. Show me what to do. Because I've been trying to find my way. I haven't got a clue. Tell me, should I stay here or do I need to move? Give me a revelation. I've got nothing without you. Well, that band, Third Day, if you've heard it, it's, it's a catchy song. Some catchy lyrics, uh, and a song uh, that is titled Revelation. It it plays to our emotions. You know, wanting a revelation is sometimes what we feel, right? But Paul never asks for this revelation from God. Instead, throughout his first missionary journey until now, he adjusts his course by faith and not by sight. It's actually another song by a band called uh, Out of the Gray. And it says, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. Much better theology in that song. There is no record of Paul ever instructing his team, you know, we're, we're just going to stay put right here and demand a revelation. And, and we'll stay put until God gives us something to see. You know, a lot of insecure people live out their life in that way. Determining, you know, God is going to have to show me where he wants me to work before I'll fill out a job application. He's going to have to tell me who to marry 
before I propose. I just want to be sure. If you'll just give me some kind of sign. Uh, or until a revelation comes, I'll just stay put. Christians do not sing, give me a revelation, show me what to do. It's rather Pharisees and Sadducees who demanded a sign from heaven, to whom Jesus said, it is an evil and adulterous generation that seeks a sign. He who demands a sign, uh, he or she lacks faith, does not want to walk without sight. Paul doesn't lack faith. Paul does not request this sign. Instead, he and his team just just keep pressing on doors. And when they arrive at Troas, God supplies a vision in verse 9 that comes completely without solicitation. So this passage, it's often referred to as the Macedonian call, does not supply us an example to sit and wait until God provides a sign. Most people in Scripture live out their entire lives without ever receiving one. Once again, before we get to the vision, I don't know, maybe it's every couple, three years I reference um, some of my background. When... When God called me to shepherd his flock, doors remained closed, partially because I had set some artificial parameters uh, on where I was willing to go. Um, I got some godly counsel on that. But it was not until I became willing to both open my boundaries to where I would follow God's will, plus surrender my will to stay in place before God actually moved. But at no point did I ever need, nor did I receive a vision. True story. Through numerous criteria, I I knew it, I had been called to shepherd God's flock. And it was when I finally settled Rita can attest to this. It was when I finally settled, you know what? I'm willing to stay right here at Denton Bible Church. And I will serve my own pastor. His name was Tom Nelson. I will be his advocate. And if my church is willing at some point in time uh, to have me as an elder, then I will return to secular employment and serve out my calling And my years as a lay shepherd at Denton Bible Church. And with a full heart, I said, and I will be content. I surrendered, not my will, but thine be done. Ring. My phone rang. Caller ID, Port St. Lucie, Florida. I've been living in sunshine under palm trees, joined paradise ever since. (laughs) 
I'm not making it up. The Lord directs our steps. And because Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they could not turn north nor south, but had been forced to travel as far as they possibly could west, they now find themselves in a port city called Troas, a seaport bordering the Aegean uh, bordered by the Aegean Sea on its west side. I, I can about imagine them all piled into a Motel 6. Asking Paul, oh, oh, now what? And in the middle of the night, Paul is given a revelation from God in the form of a vision. In verse 9 we read, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, there are some basic things we want to discern about Paul's vision. First, it is a vision. It's not a dream, which implies to us that Paul is awake when he receives it. Second, the Greek word for vision is horama. And each of the 11 times it is used in the New Testament... It refers to visible images that are clearly seen. In fact, I made note of Peter back in Acts chapter 12. uh, As an angel had sprung him from prison, his experience was so real, because it was real, that Peter thought that he might be having a vision. Not because it was a vision, But because Peter knew from previous experiences, visions are that realistic. And he had previously had the vision of the sheet with the animals coming down from heaven. Likewise, when Paul describes his vision of being taken up into heaven, you read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said the vision so closely mimicked physical reality that he could not even discern whether his vision in heaven was being experienced in the body or out of the body. But it seemed, at least to him, to be experienced bodily. The same term is used by Jesus after Peter, James, and John saw Christ transfigured on the holy mountain. Find that in Matthew chapter 17. When Moses and Elijah appeared, remember, Peter wanted to build them each a tabernacle. So revelatory visions are generally as realistic as you and I sitting here together today. (coughs) Third, the interpretation of the vision is straightforward. Paul sees and hears a man from Macedonia, calling out to him, hey, come over here to Macedonia and help us. How long 
does it take for Paul, Silas, and Timothy to pack their bags and depart? They respond immediately. Don't miss that little word there. Immediately. There is absolutely no delay or need to wait for an interpretation. Fourth, we also see the human writer of the book of Acts, named Luke, uh, now adds himself to the narrative by writing himself into verse 10. Luke says, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, not they, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So it is here in Troas, verse 9 actually, where Luke begins adding himself to their itinerary. This is referred to, theologians refer to this, this part of Acts, by the way. Guess what? The we sections. They're really creative. Because they include Luke in the grouping with we. Don't be surprised uh, that the writer Luke uh, here does not record and include the circumstances under which he was brought into this ministry team. It is common for a person who documents historical uh, narrative uh, to act this way, not to amplify himself as one of the key characters. Uh, yet we now know that Luke is along for the ride as they seek to immediately depart Troas on the very next ship. Paul's vision supplies absolutely zero confusion as to what they are immediately to do uh, now that God has granted them the open door. Okay? I say that because it is not unusual for me as a pastor to be approached by someone who has had an experience, either a vision or a dream it is described, asking, Pastor, I don't suppose you can tell me what this means. As if I'm supposed to interpret it, interpret it for them. Um, when there are only two people in all of Scripture ever described as interpreting dreams. It's Joseph and Daniel, both described as prophets in the Old Testament. And I'm not either one of them. And usually the story is conveyed to me in a manner which, well, either they are trying to test me or, or perhaps impress me as a pastor uh, to know that you know, God has opened up a direct line of communication with them. And, and most of the time, these dreams are described as having occurred you know, weeks, months, years. I've even had it where decades earlier. These people are still claiming to ask me, what do they mean? Still can't figure them out. And my response is often the same, at least it is now at this day and age. I don't know what your private experience, a vision or a dream may mean. 
But in Colossians 2 verse 18, this same apostle Paul, who received the vision of the Macedonian call, warns me and the church to, quote, not be defrauded by anyone going into details about any visions they have seen. Inflated, he says, without cause by their fleshly mind. That response, when I give it, doesn't usually go over very well. But if God truly has granted someone a vision or a dream, I can't say that God could never do that. I'm not God. But I can say the experience is clearly intended for them and not for me. God does not communicate with me through other people's private visions and dreams. And therefore, visions and dreams are absolutely not permitted by Scripture to become a distraction or a swaying influence over the church. But if God has communicated to you in the same way, the same way, because people say, same gifts are alive and well today. So if he has communicated to you in the same way the Holy Spirit guided Paul, in verse 9, you yourself shouldn't have any problem interpreting which ship the Lord wants you to immediately board. Happy sailing. I was referencing our Constitution for next Sunday. I had something I was looking up and had it there beside me, and I looked in and brought up one reference, and one is to errant theological movements. And on page five, it states, the modern-day charismatic movement seeks doctrinal and life guidance. Seeks doctrinal and life guidance through extra-biblical revelation in the forms of unverifiable dreams, visions, signs, and wonders. They're seeking their doctrine through it. Yeah, we don't seek our doctrine for Port St. Lucie Bible Church through people's private and personal uh, experiences that they claim. Um, Of the credible pastors and theologians that we Christians would generally respect as men who are preserving biblical standards of interpretation, throughout the ages, John Calvin, Martin Luther, you, today, you've got MacArthur and Swindoll, and you've had R.C. Sproul and, and Vody Bauckham and several others, um, all respected theologians, who God established into thriving ministries. I have never heard a single one of them claim that God directed their life steps through dreams or visions or wonders. Um, rather, I would expect each of these godly men uh, would affirm that they pursued theological training while they faithfully served wherever and whatever church God had called them to, whether it be large or small. Uh, They pressed on closed doors until they found one that was opened to them. Um, And if one opened, then they stepped through and served out their years faithfully without ever having to see anything. Folks, it's called faith. Hebrews tells us 
It's a conviction of things unseen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And even when there are no doors open, godly men and women serve out their years faithfully uh, wherever they are. Finally, Paul's itinerant course prompted him to rise each day. He pounded the pavement. He would board ships to preach the word. God is not likely to open up any ministry opportunity to anyone who are not seeking his will and active in serving. There's nothing easy about serving our Lord. You know, this week-to-week stuff is exceedingly hard. And the overarching lesson from this passage containing the Macedonian call is not for us to be seeking a vision, but rather is that that here Scripture supplies us a peek behind the providence curtain to see that the Holy Spirit is continuously working behind the scenes of life, sovereignly closing some doors while we press to find out which one may open. God's Spirit is always acting behind the scenes as the Lord directs our steps. And without the aid of a vision, with or without the aid of a vision, Paul advanced the gospel both ways. Most of his turns were made without the aid of any vision. Yet he had to rise each morning, rise early this morning, board a ship, You know, a stinky merchant vessel. You know, the accommodations in that age were not very nice. We're not talking oasis of the seas here. There is no glamour in what Paul and his team are doing. No luxury involved. But I am perpetually astonished at how many people conclude that God is going to open up a door to ministry or to life, without first beating the pavement to see what doors are closed and which ones will open. You know, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they trekked about 585 miles, possibly without a convert to Christianity. The Holy Spirit forbid them to speak the word in Asia, so surely no Converts to the south, they're forbidden to to speak the word. They didn't even enter Bithynia to the north. No converts there. Perhaps Luke becomes a convert in Troas. Uh, We don't know for certain. Maybe he did. Perhaps they had met him earlier in Galatia and the church is there and had encountered him in Troas. We don't know. He could have been an earlier convert. Either way, this team endured a very long dry spell in sharing the gospel. We'll encounter those from time to time as well. But we keep on moving. Verse 11, So putting out to sea from Troas, Luke says, We ran a straight course to Samothrace, 
and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. I'll share the reason. I believe they went down to the river next Sunday. But as we begin to transition to the Lord's Supper, I'll finish today with a theory as to why Paul received the vision. Why did God give Paul the vision at this point? You know, Paul's passion for the gospel didn't require a vision. His passion proves that he didn't need the vision to keep moving. He would have kept moving. He already kept moving. Uh, But there had to be a reason God gave direction in Troas. And I think there is a specific identifiable reason uh, every time God decides to grant a vision. Ananias would have never approached Saul the Pharisee. Saul was a murderer. Ananias says, Lord, this guy's a murderer. The Lord said, no, go to him. He's a chosen instrument of mine. Likewise, Peter, being a Jew, probably would have never entered the home of Cornelius, a Gentile. That was a filthy thing to do when God gave him the vision to not call anything unclean. But here's the reason I believe Paul received received this Macedonian call. It may be wrong. It may may be near the mark. I don't know. But I believe the underlying reason Paul is specifically redirected at this point uh, begins with a woman named Lydia, to whom we will be introduced next week. Yet circumstances that were unrevealed to Paul, that were in the background, caused by the Holy Spirit, had pushed Paul as far west as he could possibly go, reaching the city of Troas. Uh, He's at a port now, and Paul is a go-getter. He's not going to sit still and wanting to advance further. Paul was going to be determined to board a ship. Here's the conundrum. Which ship? Which ship should they board? You know, Paul, the passage is showing that Paul is more than willing to adjust uh, his course when he encounters a closed door. Uh, clearly, his, his plans are not chiseled rigidly in stone. But should it be a ship to Rome? How about to Athens, Greece? Maybe to the island of Crete, which is just to the south? Should it be a ship that is returning home? We won't know until we get to ask Paul what exactly happened here. I believe the vision is to ensure that they must continue west and boarding the very next ship to Macedonia. Therefore, they don't waste any time. There is going to be a woman there. She will be waiting by the river. And circumstances will cause Paul to share the gospel with her there. If you're a visitor, 
You know, I'm not exactly sure why you stepped into Port St. Lucie Bible Church today, um, but I guess we're kind of a port, being in Port St. Lucie. <laughs> Perhaps your ship has come in, and it is time for you to board. So we who regularly gather here week to week, you know, press on doors to see if there's an opening in your heart before celebrating what we call the Lord's Supper. So I'll briefly explain the gospel. It's a word that means good news. The first book of the Bible, which is Genesis, assures that God originally created everything good. Everything he saw was good, and according to his design, we see God's design in creation. There are the sun, moons, and the stars in the sky. There are, there are fish in the water. There are birds in the air. We are man who reflect God's image. The evidence is everywhere. And scripture assures us that God loves you. You are his image bearer. And that he has designed and provided every purpose for your life. And he's willing to guide you. For your health, your career, your finances, and your family, he will close certain doors and he will open others. But instead of our following God's design, the Bible tells us that we have each pursued our own ways that are opposed to him. The Bible calls our ways sin. And because because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we've all fallen short of fulfilling God's design, uh, we eventually find ourselves in a place of brokenness. You may find yourself in a place of brokenness today. We've all experienced the place that is known as brokenness uh, in our lives. You know, it feels like disappointment, loneliness, jealousy, anger, despair, and that bitterness of feeling empty inside. Brokenness can be a good thing, we know, because it causes us to attempt to fix what is wrong in our lives. We set out to fix the brokenness, but our attempts designed to fill our emptiness, you know, lead us to pursuing more of the same old things that originally broke us. We try a new relationship. Maybe somebody else will make me happy. We buy and accumulate even more stuff because Amazon isn't sold out yet. Some turn to immorality Sometimes the pain and loneliness is so great, so severe, that people will turn to drugs or alcohol to forget the loneliness. If that's you today, I'm sorry. But God loves you. And he doesn't want the cycle of brokenness to repeat itself. Because the Bible says the wages that we earn through these sins is death. And separation from God forever. But the Bible assures 
There is a gospel. There is good news in that God doesn't just leave us in this place of brokenness to heal our brokenness. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin and to live on earth as a man, but without sin, Scripture says that in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Yet he was condemned by sinful men, and Jesus suffered and died. He was crucified on a cross where God, our Father in heaven, laid upon him all the weight, the crushing weight of the penalty of sin that we deserve. And those who believe in him, Scripture says, uh, will not be disappointed. For God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And if you trust in Jesus and believe he died for your sin and rose again from the dead, uh, we're going to be celebrating that in about a month, the resurrection on the third day. Um, God will send his spirit to change you and to change your life. The spirit, we are told, will live inside of you, which those who are members here today uh, can tell you will transform your life and it will change you. It will change your desires to where you can recover and you can recover to pursue the original design of God for your life. The testimony of us at Port St. Lucie Bible Church here is that by His Spirit, God has changed us. After we've each confessed with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believed in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, that He died in our place, He was buried in a tomb, and that He rose again from the third day. He was seen by all the apostles, by over 500 people at one time. The Bible assures that Jesus will return someday soon where he will reign upon the earth and to judge the living and the dead. To remember his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a reason we're taught in Scripture to routinely celebrate the Lord's Supper. <laughs>